Good morning. So, in preparing for a sermon, it's often really great for me because I start, you know, thinking, okay, what's something that's really going to be good for all those people? And then in preparing for it, I realize, you know, it's actually probably more important that I hear this than anybody else hear it. So, um, it's been really good for me, the preparation, and I hope that, I hope it's as good for you as it has been for me. So let's uh, pray and begin. Dear Lord, thank you, God, that you are our Father, that you loved us while we were still sinners, that you gave your Son to die for us, Lord, to pay the debt that we couldn't pay. Lord, I pray this morning that that these, the truth of your word would um, find new resonance in our hearts, Lord. That, um, that we would see you more clearly. That we would love you more sincerely. And that we would worship you, Lord, with even more of our hearts, even more of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Colossians with me. Colossians is a book written by Paul and Timothy. The, the kind of story behind it that they kind of uh, figure what happened is while Paul was in Ephesus for three years, there's this dude named uh, Epaphras who got saved. And he learned from Paul and hung out with Paul there. And then he took the word and, and after he was saved, he went back home to Colossae, which is who the Colossian, the book of Colossians was written to, and he planted a church. And so all sorts of cool things were happening, and Paul was really excited to hear about that. And he, he writes in um, chapter 1, verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We meaning Paul and and uh, Titus, wait, uh, Timothy, sorry, not Titus, Paul and Timothy. <laughs> so we being Paul and Timothy. From day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then later in chapter 2, Verse one, starting verse 1, Paul writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who hear, all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom we are hidden, all, in whom are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul hasn't met these guys yet, but he's writing to them 
to encourage them in their faith, to encourage their growth and their maturity, their development as Christians. So to do that, he reminds them of a lot of things that they've probably already been taught, reminding them of um, who Christ is and of the way they should walk, and also warning them against against, uh, things that could detract from that, things that could slow their maturity or completely distract them from Christ. So we're going to start with our, the, the main text we're going to focus on today um, in two, chapter 2, verse 6. And he starts with kind of the thesis of the whole passage, verse 6. Therefore, therefore meaning um, because I care about you and because of who Jesus says that he talked about before. As you, received Jesus, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Or live in Him, like have your, your where you're walking. It's in Him. As you receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This kind of sums up the whole passage. Rooted is is in the past tense, meaning so as you received Christ, as you first found out about Him, as you first accepted Him, you were rooted, you were stuck, you were planted like a plant in the ground. And built up. Built up is present, continual building up. That you were rooted and built up and established in the faith as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. So then he goes into verse 8 talking about the things, and he goes back and forth into it, things that could detract from your growth, that could keep you from from following Christ. And he, he tends to not be too detailed about it. Like in Galatians, Paul talks a lot more about um, some error that was uh, facing the church. So here, it may not be a specific thing that's actually a problem, but just warning you guys, hey, this is this could really be something you could fall into. Don't do that. But Paul does a lot less of talking about what not to do, what not to believe, but what to believe. So, So I don't know what He's talking about this philosophy or human tradition. But if you're in Christ, then you will avoid those things. So uh, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism of the flesh, baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Paul says, watch out. Don't get caught in these human tradition, elemental spirits of the world. But because these things are not according to Christ. And then Paul launches into this uh, preaching the gospel to them, a reminder of what Christ has done for them. And he uses three different 
um, metaphors to talk about what Christ has done for them. First thing he does is he talks about circumcision. Why does he talk about circumcision? So in verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Anybody know what circumcision is? If you don't know, ask your mother. She'll tell you. Or your father. I don't know. Ask somebody. So circumcision was the the snipping that allowed you to become a Jew. It was um, it was something that they way back God got when God made a covenant with the people of Israel with Abraham. He's, this circumcision is the sign of the covenant, and part of the symbolism is there's a cutting off of the flesh. There's a cutting off of something, and there's then, so that's one thing: cutting off of the bad. Thing, cutting off of one thing, and then you are separate people. You're different than everybody else. There's some peculiarity about you that's different than everyone else. And so the, the circumcision not of the flesh is something that was even talked about in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 10.16, uh, they it writes, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. And in Jeremiah 4, 4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Saying you might be circumcised physically, but you're not circumcised spiritually. There's still this, this evil in your life. Circumcise your hearts. And this idea Paul really picks up in lots of his epistles. He writes... In Romans two twenty eight to twenty nine, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inward, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Because the Jews would boast and hey, we're Jewish, we're special, we're different. But circumcision of the heart, when when God comes in and does a change, that your praise is not from man or of anything how special you are but from God and then in Philippians 3 3 Paul writes for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God so in if you wanted to become a Jew there were some things you had to do and then the final stamp of approval you're a Jew, is circumcision, right? So circumcision for us, circumcision in Christ, is not only separation and apartness, but it's also a welcoming in to a new community. You are now in Christ. You are now in the body of Christ. You are now welcomed into a new community. So that's what Paul's talking about, circumcision. And then he talks about this death and life thing, starting in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all, us all our trespasses. So this is also a common theme God, um, Paul uses to 
to preach the gospel to the churches he writes letters to. He writes very similar things to, in Romans 6. And there's a, he's emphasizing the sense in which Christ paid the penalty for our sins. So when Christ died, it's as if we died. It's God looks on us and sees that our death has been paid. Our penalty for our sin has been paid in Christ. So it's like we ha- when he died, when he was nailed up on, there on the cross, that we were there too. That God sees it as paid for. Our sin is paid for. And then resurrection, as Christ was resurrected, it's like we are raised again to new life. There's a whole, there's a, 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 like a severe experience, a death to life experience in the life of a believer that you're dead and you're alive again. Your old self is dead, your new self is alive. It's so, it's traumatic, you might even say. It's life-changing. Um, and John 3, John uses, or Jesus talks about being born again, a new birth. It's the same kind of idea. There's, there's a, a new life happening in you. So God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Verse 14 By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So this this third metaphor Paul uses is the canceling of debt. Um, If you guys were here last week, Albert kind of talked about this. Do you guys remember the story? There's the, the woman who comes... And she drops down at Jesus' feet, weeping. And, and she's wetting her, his feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, kissing them, and anointing them with ointment. She's just, like, falling down. And the, the Pharisee's like, hey, that woman's no good news. Do you, do you know who she is, Jesus? And Jesus says, Simon, I'm going to tell you a story. And that's how you know he's in trouble, as Jesus is going to tell you a story. And... <laughs> The, 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 the story was about canceling debts. Who's going to love the guy more? The guy who canceled the, the, the huge debt owed to him or the guy that cancels, that gets his small little debt canceled? And the point of Jesus' story is he who is forgiven little loves little. But he who for, is forgiven much loves much. That woman has experienced how much she has been forgiven. And so she falls down at Jesus' feet in just, like, gross expression of love, just like, bleh, here's my love, because she's just so overwhelmed by the debt that was canceled. We can, we can really easily forget that we had a debt canceled, either because we, we try really hard to be good, and we feel like, okay, we've met uh, these five rules that I've made for myself, so, um, you know, God's not really forgiven me that much because I'm doing pretty good, or we can just like think, oh yeah, God loves me. That's his job. He does that. He loves me. It's cool. Um, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were completely lost. There was nothing that you could do to save yourself. And there's nothing worthy in you to be saved. But Christ in his love gave you love and acceptance far more than you ever deserved far more than you could even understand. 
And so it's the both things together. It's that you are more, as Tim Keller says, those you know, I like Tim Keller. You're more wicked than you ever dared believe, but you're more loved and accepted in Christ than you would ever dare hope. That's the gospel that Paul is here reminding them of. So this, this gospel he's reminding them, to, so you don't get caught up in those other things. And so therefore, verse 16 Therefore, because of all these things that Christ has done, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one exclude you or say, hey, that's, what you're not, that's not cool. In questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath, these are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The word substance there actually means body. The body belongs to Christ. These things, these Days and months and rituals are, are a shadow. They're, they're a shadow, you know, like those shadows there. A shadow, but the substance, the body of which they represent is Christ. So, verse 18, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as, you were, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These things indeed... These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Well, that's interesting. That's really strange. So, regulations and do-nots and human precepts and teachings have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh? Huh. That's interesting. Why not? Why not? I mean, if I really, if I really try hard, you know, if I like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to not do this bad thing. I'm going to do this good thing. Can't I just like really do it? Right? Or can I just like make punishments for myself and like, I'm not going to eat until I do this good thing, or I'm going to whip myself every time I do this bad thing? I think that would, I would, that would stop me. Or if, and maybe not if I whip myself, but if, if, if you whip me every time I do something bad, that would help, I think. I think so. I mean, if there's something I don't want to do and you're going to whip me every time I do it, I think I'll stop. Maybe. So why? why? Why do these things have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh? Well, one reason I could think of is it just doesn't work. In, in some, usually, in my experience, if, if I just try really hard and by a power of the will, it's like, it's like God's like, okay, you want to try and do that yourself? Fine. Good luck. <laughs> because... Um, it just doesn't work so well because I know I'm trusting in myself and my own discipline and not in God. But then I think there's another sense in which, okay, maybe it does work. 
maybe, you know, if you whip me every time I lie to you, you know, I probably won't lie to you. You know, that probably would work. There's, an, there's a sense in which discipline and asceticism works in a way. But I would like to suggest that this is really, if it works, and, and you're not really trusting, if you're just doing these ascetic things, and it works to stop this one thing, you've really just substituted another indulgence of the flesh for your old indulgence of the flesh. If you look back at verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, which is Jesus. This person who's insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and visions or whatever, they're puffed up with pride of his sensuous mind. Sensuous, just like indulgence of the flesh. That really, if you actually whip yourself and it works, then you, you, you tend to be proud. I know for me, the times I've been most whipping myself in some way or like really feeling really disciplined, I tend to get angry at people and frustrated with people. And I've really just substituted another, another form of indulgence of the flesh. Because either, either I, I do my rules really well and I feel so good about myself and everyone else is not as good as me and they don't deserve my love or help if they can't be as good as me. Or if I keep messing up, I just keep beating myself and get all depressed all the time. And it doesn't work. No good. No good. So what's the answer? How do I stop the indulgence of the flesh? Well, let's look back at the, the thing that, that Paul first said after see that no one t- lets you take get captive. Verse 10, or v- verse 9. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You have been filled in him. The indulgence of the flesh, that, or the sensuous mind, the indulgence of the flesh is really, it fills you in some way. I you know, you guys know by experience, anything you do, any, if, you're, if you're angry, it's addictive. It's like, it's a, it's a drug. It's like, yes, that fills me to just go, ah! Or if I'm like, sex, sex is, is addicting or sex fills you in some way. And that's, those things, they fill you. So what fills you that's not God? When you're, when you're feeling really empty, what what fills you that's not God? What is your functional God? I know, like, ever since I was little, you know, I believe in Jesus, you know, I'm a good little Christian boy. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had a, I've had a lot of functional gods all the time that I've claimed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. A lot of functional gods that, that fill me. You know, whether it's like sensual pleasure or whether it's, you know, eating. I love to eat. Or whether it's um, pride, whether it's doing really good job, whether it's the approval and praise of others. That's, that's the one that really got to me this time in preparing for the sermon is my functional God has recently, has really become 
the approval and praise of others and and also the approval and praise of myself or saying look at me doing what I've set out to do doing a good, good job those things have become my functional gods and I have lost connection with the head verse 19 not holding fast to the head, to Jesus, holding fast, like connected to Jesus. I might know about Jesus. I might talk about Jesus. I might go to Bible studies. But if I've lost connection with the head, if I've lost being fed by the head, receiving the fullness of Jesus, then I need to seek out the functional gods because I'm not being filled. I'm not receiving the love and acceptance of Jesus. And I just go out to these other idols, whatever they may be. And I get rid of one and I find another one because you can't substitute an idol. You can't get rid of an idol without substituting it for some, some other object of worship. Something else that fills you. So I want you to think, what, what are your functional gods? What are your idols? What is it that, that fills you that is not God? That takes away from God that you go to instead of Jesus? Um, go on to chapter 3. Now we, the, the chest section takes a much more positive turn. <laughs> so nice. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If then, chapter, chapter verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, if then you have experienced that circumcision of the flesh, if you have experienced that, that death-to-life experience, that being dead with Christ and raised together with him, if you've experienced that, that ke- the debt has been canceled, if you've experienced those things, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. If you have died, then your life is with Christ and God. That is your life. That is the, the, the God that can fill you, the thing that can satisfy you, that is your object of worship. So what are those things above? Those things above you set your mind on. Um, in uh, in the, the Saturday morning men's group, we we're talking about um, well, we're talking about justice, but we're we, we're talking about treasures because there's all these verses that that are about treasures, and one like the most popular one, Luke twelve thirty one to thirty four. So instead of all these things the world seeks, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it, this, this concept of treasure really kind of rubbed us all the wrong way. Because uh, we're like, man, like, okay, you... You give now to get treasure later? That just seems selfish. And that's because we, we think of like heavenly treasure in the same way we think of earthly treasure. We think of seeking heavenly treasure as, oh, I'm going to get a big fat crown, so my crown's bigger than that guy's crown, and look at me with my fat crown in heaven. But the treasures in heaven are obviously going to be of a different quality, and seeking them for a different reason than the treasures on earth. But the reason that... that um, that Jesus uses the idea of treasure so often is because when he's encouraging you to give, when he's encouraging you to, to sell, sell your things and to give to the poor, he's saying you, you are free to give because God will give you everything. That you, you can give of yourself because God is giving you treasure. And the treasure, whatever it's going to look like, I think it's of a profoundly relational uh, sense that, that the treasures in heaven just are really expressions of God's love and approval for you. So seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God is the place of authority, the place of, of intimacy, of being in the bosom of the Father. Set your, set, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not, that are things, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's another... Um, another thing that I thought was cool about setting your mind on things above is that Jesus really set his mind on things above. Um, what, like Often through the Gospels you hear Jesus does things that really don't make sense that like get people to leave from following him or you know he moves on to a new town when he was really doing groovy at this one town. And, and because Jesus' mind was, was on something else. He was on what God had sent them to do. A moment that really sticks out to me is Matthew twenty six thirty nine, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he went and he prayed it a third time. If this cannot pass, your will be done. Jesus' was, mind was set on things above. And then in Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Hebrews is telling us, let us set aside these things. This is a very similar message to Colossians. And run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, 
endured the cross for the joy that was set before them. And we see that here too. There's, there's something set ahead of us. There's a joy that is set ahead of us. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. The, our, our, treasures, the, our treasures, even though God will uh, show us His love here, there's, there's a way in which we will never be filled until that day. There's a day, there's a sense in which we will, we're always going to have a hunger until that day. And so this is asking us to, to hope. Hope not against, against uh, belief, but hope, meaning that hoping in something sure, something you're eagerly awaiting that you know is going to come. Hope, hope of glory. And I, I think of... Uh, Thanksgiving. Because on Thanksgiving, I'm going to have this huge meal, but it's not till like three or four. I don't know. I'm going to have this huge meal, but so I'm not, I don't want to eat all that morning, but it sucks. I'm, I'm sometimes really hungry, and, but I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat because of the hope of that, the feast coming. <laughs> Because I don't want to, I don't want to be too full of other stuff. Because then when that feast comes, I'm not going to be able to eat as much. And I really want to eat that Thanksgiving meal. And you know, the Bible talks about heaven in terms of a meal, in terms of there's a feast prepared for you, there's a, a home prepared for you, there is fullness prepared for you. And so, because our life, our life is there, it's not here. Our life is there we can, verse 5, put to death, cut off, execute, therefore, what is earthly in you. Because our life, we don't need to fill ourselves with these things now. We know we will be filled later. It's only in knowing that, only in knowing that there is for us a hope of glory, that there is a banquet prepared for us, that we can put to death what what is earthly in you. So verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All these things, just like, um, just like we talked about before, you know, sins of anger, sins of lust, all these things are idolatry, and they need to be put to death. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Oh, another thing. Put to death. Um, how do you put something to death? Sometimes just bludgeoning it doesn't put it to death. You know, if I want to kill you, um, there's certain ways to kill you. And I need to figure out the way that I'm going to kill you. So, so there's a very vulnerable spot, the neck. There's often execution happens, you know, you cut off your head or choke you. Sorry for being morbid, but you know that it's a violent thing to put to death, and there's to put to death. You have to find the root of life. The, you know, you have to cut off the heart from the brain. You know, you have to cut off the things that that's feeding it. So sometimes, in order to put something to death, you really have to like figure out where the life is coming from. You have to you know explore it a little bit and and 
think about it and pray about it and give it to God. Say, God, and also talk with your brothers and sisters and say, there's this thing I want to put to death. There's this thing I want to kill. Um, let's talk about it. I don't know how to kill it. Um, I've tried. Will you help me remind me of that my life is hidden with Christ and God? And will you um, help me figure out where the root is, what, I'm, what hunger I'm feeding with it? So that's a thought. Find the neck of your sin and slice it. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You have put on the new self. Now we're talking about the new self. The new self, which is immediately in the image of its creator, right? The new self? No. I wish it was, but it's not. The new self is not instantaneously like Jesus. We're not going to instantaneously be righteous and holy in terms of our daily living, which is why Paul says, put off, put off, put to death, put these things to death, because you're in this process. Um, The process of Christian maturity and growth is putting on, or putting off the, the old, putting on the new. Um, there's this book, Puddinghead Wilson, that I read a long time ago. I really like this quote from it. I don't know what he's quoting it from. Anyway, I really like it. And uh, he's, I think, yeah, Mark, it's a Mark Twain quote, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, he says, uh, you know, lots of times people say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. But I say, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket. And so the, I think the, proce- the, the process of Christian maturity is transferring your eggs all into one basket. Um, the things that define you, the things that feed you, put them all in uh, the basket of Jesus. And Jesus, the Jesus basket. Now I'm thinking of Easter, all these holidays. <laughs> yeah, the Jesus basket. So the new self is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Um, I think of, of uh, another common verse in Romans twelve one to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a renewal happening. There's a, a change happening, which we are being transformed from one place to another. And, and so there's some faith there. There's some faith that, that what God has started, what God has put into action, he will bring to fulfillment. Um, the, is the putting off and putting on, you can also think of as a simultaneous repentance and faith. Martin Luther, who started the Protestant Reformation, he has, you know, those 95 theses he put up on the wall? Well, the n- number one theses, the number one thing he put up there, is, on, on number one in the list, is he said, when our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. 
He called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. I don't know about you, but I, was, I tend to think about repentance as only when I do something really bad. And then i got to go to the confessional and repent, and then I'll feel better about myself. But Luther, who I think probably is a pretty, pretty good guy to listen to, he, he said that Jesus said the, life of, the whole life of believers is to be one of continual repentance, continual putting off, continual transferring your eggs from one basket to the other, you know, saying, God, put this to death. And then there's faith in what God has done, what God has started, he will bring bring to completion, that God is working in you. Faith that even though I keep doing this thing or not doing this thing I want to do, that God is doing a work in me. God is doing a work in me. It's not anything I'm doing. It's not anything I can boast in, but God is, is renewing my mind. He's renewing my heart. He's giving me a new heart. Faith and repentance, they go together. Then we go into a description of which is really cool, of this new self. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbithian, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So it's not saying that we lose our ethnic identity, but that Christ is such an identity for us, such a place we find our value, that these things are no longer um, places which to either boast over another person or to feel subjugated by another person. They're no longer a basis of, of division or, or value or unvalue. That because our value is so much in Christ, these things are no longer, no longer exercise the same pull on us as they once did. And I think this is also a picture of... of um, that the the harm caused by this kind of racial exclusion is healed. The healing of lots of these things, of, of the harm caused by it, that we can experience that kind of healing even now. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbithian, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Bearing with another because it's a process, because we're being renewed. You have to bear with one another because they're in progress just like you are. Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. As the Lord has forgiven you. Because if we remember God has forgiven us, if we remember that there's nothing we've done, we have nothing to boast in, then we're able to forgive. We're able to bear with one another. We're able to give to one another without expecting anything back. Because God has given everything to us and has forgiven us. And above all these, above kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness even, Put on love. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It binds everything together. Because if you just get so concerned with humility, that's a little weird. If you get really just consumed with patience, then you get walked all over, and you're not really loving the person. But love binds all these things together. Love as Christ has loved you. Love binds them all together and makes them work together in 
a right way. Verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. I think this peace is not, you know, even though Christ does give us a sense of inner peace and, you know, tranquility or whatever, that this peace is not, is talking about peace um, and unity in the body. Because it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. If you haven't already noticed it, there is this, 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 you can't do it on your own. And it talks about that in this in this passage, even back in 19, chapter 2, verse 19, the, the people get distracted in all these other things. They're not holding fast to the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body, the whole body, if you come to the head, you also come to the body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Nourished and knit together we nourish each other. We knit together if we're held to the head. Nourish, knit together through joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that is from God. So, yeah, continuing on. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Thankfulness is also starts off the, the whole section. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And here, be thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, give thanks. This is talking about living lives of joyful, thanks-filled worship. Whatever you do, whatever you do, when you're going to work, when you're going to school, when you're going to church, when you're going to hang out with your friends, whatever you do, you know, when you, I don't know, when you're on the toilet, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is not, this Thanksgiving is not uh, happy all the time. Oh, I'm so great. Jesus loves me. There's nothing wrong. I'm never sad. There's nothing ever wrong because I believe in Jesus. No, like you still have emotions. You still, you still, when you lose things, when you lose somebody, when you, when you, when you hurt yourself, stuff still hurts. You still, you still cry, but you're not destroyed by it because your fullness, because your life is in God. And so you can give thanks. You can live lives of, of worship even when you're sad. You can live lives of thanksgiving even when you're sad. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are not ashamed to call us sons. Lord, that you, you called us while we were in sin, you ransomed us through the costly death of your Son, that we would have life, that we would have fullness. God, I thank you that it's not anything we've done, God, it's not anything we can boast in, Lord. Thank you, God, that, that, that you are our life, God, because anything else just wouldn't do. 
Lord, I pray that we would not forget. Lord, that we would remind each other, that we would remind ourselves. And God, that, that we would continue this process, putting off the old man, putting on the new, being transformed into the likeness of your Son, and looking forward, Lord, with hopeful expectation of glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.